What the heck? Where? It's dark. I, I can't see. Hey, is that you, Eric? Get your elbow out of my rib. So, what, what's going on? What are those bells? I don't know. And it's cold. We're outside? Hang on a minute. There's a little spot of... Okay, hang on a minute. I think we're trapped in some kind of bag. I see. It's like mesh. Oh, it's cold. It's wind blowing by. Oh. Oh, there's the whole... Hey, hey. Let me up. Let me up. Okay, hang on. Okay, let me help you. Dude, I think we're in... I think we're in Santa's sleigh. Santa! Shh. Oh, he's oh got to drive the sleigh. Let's be safe. I don't want to distract him. Wow, he's a big guy. Well, you know... Is Rudolph up there? I can't see. This is really weird. Because normally, this is how our Halloween episode starts. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a carryover, but it's Christmas. So... I knew I'd been awful good this year. Yeah, like, got abducted by Santa. Wow! Wait a minute, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. He is technically our guest speaker, I guess. So, so I guess, while we're here, and it's Christmas... Man, I'm in the mood. Let's, I'm in the spirit! Let's talk about Christmas. Let's talk about what got us to Christmas. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So, we've done a couple of Halloween specials over the years, and we're talking about the origins of some Halloween stuff. And since it's almost Christmas, I thought we would talk about, like, the origins of some Christmas things. And man, you learn really quickly that Christmas is... Wow. Got some dark origins. We've come a long way, baby. So we're not trying to to pick apart religions. We're not trying to make fun of anybody. No, no, no. We do want to say, like, some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight is a little little dark at times. Yeah. So if you've got those little ones, you might want to tuck them away in bed for a a Christmas morning. (laughs) So I I just wanted to start talking about a lot of different Christmas traditions and kind of where they came up and then... Well, I think most everybody's familiar with the biblical yeah. origins of Christmas, so we're kind of steering clear of that because everybody knows that. So even something as simple as the tradition of the Christmas tree, you know, de- decorated trees date back to Germany in the Middle Ages, and they brought this tradition with them to America when they when they arrived in the early 19th century. And uh, New York woodsman Mark Carr is said to have opened the first Christmas tree lot in 1851, so that goes back a way. A 2019 survey indicated that 77% of U.S. homes have a Christmas tree for the holidays, with 81% of those trees being artificial, only 19% being real trees. (laughs) I have a fake one. I have one of those pre-lit trees. We've done them both. I will say the the live ones are really neat. They put off a nice smell, but boy, when those needles start to drop, that is a mess. Now, it is said that the first person to put lights in a tree was none other than Martin Luther. And the story goes that he was walking through the forest one night and saw the beauty of the stars shining through the branches of the trees in winter. And when he got home, he attempted to recreate that sight for his family by placing lit candles on the branches of the tree in their living room. I've got a little bit there on the trees. Uh, again, we're going way back here in history, but did you know pagans used to put up what we would consider a Christmas tree today? And then when, of course, Christianity came in, they saw that these pagans had a lot of these, I'll just say similar 
things that we have adopted. Trees being one, but they just called it the evergreen, the evergreen tree. And when Christians come in, I think they quickly figured out that they weren't going to stop all the pagan beliefs. Yeah, we can corral some of it and control it, but so rather than fight it, let's just embrace it and we'll put a new label on it. And so, you know, the evergreen tree actually came in with a Christian teaching early on. It went from an evergreen to a lot of times they would bring in an apple tree and decorate. And part of these trees they would try to get with apples still on them and it was to represent the Garden of Eden and the forbidden fruit, if you will, that God told Adam and Eve, you know, to look at and admire but to never taste. Now these red apples that hung on these apple trees from the Christianity faith later became converted to Christmas balls or bulbs because, let's face it, you don't want decaying fruit to be hanging on a tree in your house. So we had an evergreen tree. We then had an apple tree that we converted back to an evergreen tree, and then those red apples became Christmas balls and Christmas bulbs. Well, along that same path, tinsel. You know, we all take the, the sparkly, silvery little strands of tinsel, and I think it's, was it, plastic stuff nowadays or the, or the garlands. But that's attributed to European folk tales as the webs of Christmas spiders. Hmm. And uh, this story originated in the Ukraine, and it's a story about a poor widow and her children. And they had a pine tree in their yard, and they turned it into a Christmas tree, brought it inside, but they couldn't afford to decorate it. So after the children went to bed, the mother did what she could to fancy up the tree, you know, hoping that it would bring a smile to her children's face in the morning. And after the widow had gone to bed, the spiders in the area saw this, this tree and, and decided that they could do their part Add to make little, it fancy. A little fanciness. And so they set to work weaving a, a, a series of silky silver and gold webs around the tree, much to the delight of the widow and her children the next morning and Christmas morning. Now, tinsel, as we, as we remember it now, like the tinsel we use now, was originally made of real silver. Oh, wow. And it was seen as a symbol of wealth. As, as well as a lovely way to reflect the old-fashioned candles that people used to put in their trees back in the day. Never seemed safe. Very, very yeah. poor yeah. fire safety. But in, in Ukraine, they still decorate trees with spiderweb-like decorations and, and even spider-themed Christmas ornaments. That I saw one cool. that was like a silver Christmas spider, if you will. Well, going back to kind of some different uh, nationalities and, and different beliefs, the Norse, uh, the Norse society this season was known as Yule. And around December 21st was the winter solstice. Fathers and sons would drag in evergreen trees, here we go again, into their home as a sign of life because that tree would stay alive longer than most any others. They would then bring in what is called the Yule log and they'd burn it into the fire as a promise of good fortune. So this was kind of pre-Christmas obviously, but Again, you'll see some of those same things with the evergreen tree. Well, even the tradition of milk and cookies for Santa kind of went back to the ancient Norse peoples. The children, Viking children, they would leave treats out for uh, yet another bearded old man who flew <laughs> through the sky in the, the shape of Odin the Allfather. Odin. King of the gods. And they would leave carrots and straw for Odin's eight-legged horse Svipnir, who would, of course, fly through the sky with Odin on his back. And if... If he was pleased with their offerings, the All-Father would even leave gifts for the children during the Yule season. Very similar to Santa leaving gifts. Well, the, the tradition of leaving milk and cookies for Santa actually started in America during the Great Depression in the 30s. 
and it was just to show gratitude in times of struggle that even when money was tight, you could still be considerate of others. In ancient Rome, one week before winter solstice, uh, would begin a celebration called Saturnalia. It was essentially an orgy of food and drink as a tribute to Saturn, the god of agriculture. Now, some of the Roman soldiers and the government-type officials of ancient Rome, they also worshipped a different deity, uh, Mithra, the sun god. Now, for this reason, they considered the, their birthday of Mithra to be December 25th, and that was considered amongst the ancient Rome as the holiest of all days of the year. So here we have a tie to December 25th, the alleged birthday to a deity they worshipped, Mithra, the sun god. So more on the December 25th. By the first century AD, pagan beliefs and practices had become challenged a little bit as Christianity started taking hold. But Christ's birthday remained a mystery, as the Bible doesn't mention exactly when he was born. Since Romans already celebrated this pagan birthday of Mithra on December 25th and called it the holiest day of the year, It's theorized that some of the Roman Catholics adopted this day as the new representation of the date of the Christ child. If this is true, it would make good sense to choose that date as an assault on the released on all the pagan holidays by adopting one of them already considered the holiest day of the year, and it would be easy to erase that pagan practice away from history and any of those that wish to follow the old ways would be told and and would be viewed it see even they are converting to the new ways so it would come to pass that on the fourth century a.d the christian church would officially adopt december 25th as the considered birthday of jesus christ and the nativity to talk about some other common holiday plants you know, the little sprig of mistletoe. Mistletoe. A little bit of mistletoe, and you have to, to kiss whoever's standing underneath. That also goes back to Norse mythology. According to legend, the gods used mistletoe to resurrect Odin's son, Balder. And so Balder's mother, Frigg, goddess of love, made the plant a symbol of love and vowed to kiss anyone who would pass beneath it. Its ties also to the holiday season come from the fact that it can blossom even when it's cold outside. Uh, holiday wreaths, you know, again, we'll go back to Greeks and Romans. Holiday wreaths have been around since Greek and Roman times, but when they became associated with Christmas, the the boughs of holly took on a more Christian meaning with the circular shape representing eternal life and the holly leaves and berries being symbolic of Christ's crown of thorns and and the blood, again, kind of taking over those, those ancient traditions a little bit. Now, Christmas caroling, I found a little interesting origin of Christmas caroling. It started in Europe before the birth of Christ, with folk going from house to house during the darkest time of the year, hoping to spread hope and and cheer through song in a tradition known as wassail or mumming. Now, caroling as we know it started in the 13th century with St. Francis going around singing Christmas carols, you know, door to door. But during the 17th century, Christmas caroling took kind of a turn when carolers would arrive unannounced and demand to be given food and drink. <laughs> we won't go until we get some, if you remember that old song. We get some. Sometimes they would threaten those within with violence and even destroy property as part of Whoa. their caroling. So I found that that was, uh, that was a different take on Christmas caroling I wasn't ready for. <laughs> well, the story of Santa Claus also begins in the 4th century with the death of St. Nicholas, a beloved Turkish bishop. Now, the anniversary of his death on December 6th became known as St. Nicholas Day. 
On that day, December 6th, good and well-behaved children awoke from bed to find gifts of toys to be rewarded to them. Naughty, misbehaved children would awake to find no gifts for them, except possibly a lump of coal. Now in Holland, instead of a spirit, the first costumed real representation of what would become known as Santa Claus was first known as Center Claus. 1,500 years in America, a seminary professor named Clement Clark Moore reimagined this legend of St. Nicholas with a mix of Center Claus, and in 1922, Moore wrote a poem simply titled The Night Before Christmas. And it was about a good-spirited, jolly saint by the name of Santa Claus that was pulled around by a group of reindeer that could land on the rooftops. There, Santa Claus could gain access to the homes by squeezing down the chimneys to appear in the home's living room, where he would leave presents for the good little boys and girls beneath the decorated Christmas tree. However, less clear and still a bit undefined was exactly what did Santa Claus look like. Well, then in 1863, Thomas Nast, a cartoonist for a popular magazine by the name of Harper's Weekly, settled that firmly for everyone. Nast's representation of Santa Claus captivated readers all across the United States, and for the first time ever, we got to see a version of Santa that would be ingrained into the mind of our descendants even today. In his version, Santa was a jolly, red-cheeked, plump, happy man. He smoked a long, flowing pipe and had flowing white hair and a burly mustache with a long beard. He wore the colors of red, dressed in fur, white fur to be specific, and sported a stocking cap of sorts with a ball of fur all on the end. And of course, a bulging sack of toys that he threw over his shoulder with gifts for all the good little boys and girls. And as they say, the rest was history. Maybe it was Coke that kind of helped popularize that too. With oh, the Coca-Cola Santas. Oh, yeah. Well, from ancient traditions to to traditions that are a little more modern. You know, there's unique traditions all around the world, across the U.S. and around the world, that people use to celebrate Christmas. And and so I've got some of those here. In Mobile, Alabama, residents celebrate Alpha Palooza by dressing (laughs) as elves and strolling through the streets of town. Now, they are still attempting to break the Guinness World Record for the most Santa's elves in one location, which was set by a group of students in Thailand in 2013. Thailand, of all places. Chandler, Arizona residents build a towering Christmas tree out of tumbleweed, complete with lights and a star on top. They've been doing this for over 60 years. Residents of Christmas, Florida, of course, celebrate Christmas year-round and have Christmas pennants hanging from their telephone poles and keep Christmas trees decorated 12 months of the year. (laughs) In Hawaii, residents celebrate with a festive luau with holiday garlands made from silky flower lays and and a roast pig instead of the usual turkey. Plus, they perform Christmas carols in the native Hawaiian language, accompanied by a ukulele. So that sounds very Hawaiian. In Newport, Kentucky, they celebrate Brickmas, where they have a series of large-scale Christmas-themed Lego displays. Oh, wow. Such as a 32-foot-long model of a local bridge. A lot of Lego. 32 foot. Now, here in Missouri, you can go to St. Charles on any Wednesday night between Thanksgiving and Christmas for a candlelight reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Poem we just talked about. At Camden's Adventure Aquarium in New Jersey, you can watch Santa as he dives with sharks, sea turtles, and stingray. 
in the aquarium's 760,000-gallon ocean realm tank. You can also pet Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as well as meet the Bumble, a.k.a. the Abominable Snow Monster. In North Carolina, Santa climbs down the longest natural rock chimney of all. The famous Chimney Rock, a 315-foot rock face 25 miles southeast of Asheville. Now, as he makes this attempt, Mrs. Claus is also in attendance handing out cookies to onlookers. Now, if you'd like to get toasted for Christmas, (laughs) Portland, Oregon celebrates the Holiday L Festival, where more than 50 winter L's are created just for the season. In Memphis, Tennessee, you can enjoy Christmas at Graceland. I was going to say, gotta have Elvis. At the home of the king of rock and roll, none other than Elvis Presley, they decorate Graceland the way Elvis used to when he was alive. With hundreds of blue lights along the driveway, a life-size nativity scene, and Elvis's traditional red velvet drapes, as well as Presley family Christmas artifacts put on display. Now, if you are looking to enjoy Mexican cuisine for the holidays, you might want to head to Texas, where they celebrate Christmas Eve by feasting on tamales, which is part of the traditional Mexican celebration known as Las Posadas. So those are those are some traditions from across America, but if you travel, you know, overseas for Christmas in Japan, it's a Christmas tradition to eat KFC for Christmas Eve dinner. KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken. This started in 1974 when KFC started an advertising campaign in Japan called Kurosmasu Niwa Kentucky, or Kentucky for Christmas. Families will order their boxes of chicken months in advance, or stand in line for up to two hours on Christmas Eve to get their KFC. I don't understand. That's crazy. I don't like KFC that much, but hey. Okay. In South Africa, some folks are known to eat fried caterpillars. Who? The caterpillars of the pine tree emperor moth, also known as the Christmas caterpillar. They eat Christmas up literally. In Sweden, they have the Yule goat as a symbol of Christmas, dating back to ancient pagan festivals. And starting in 1966, they began the tradition of building a giant straw Yule goat each year. The goat is more than 42 feet high, 23 feet wide, and weighs 3.6 tons. It's like a burning man kind of thing that they torch at the end or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Cool. Okay, this next part, warning. This goes to deep, dark places. Uh, Old, old ways. You've been warned. Chemish, or Moalek, sometimes considered the same deity, was a deity worshipped by the Moabites over near Amman, Israel, uh, Judah, that area over in there. The deities' names change, but some of them seem to be like reborn, and it trickled into Christian Christmas beliefs somehow. Because you see, back in that age, the region of the Moalek people, they made a wish list of things that they hoped to acquire for the new year. And in doing this, any and all the families that had children born that particular year would then bring their infants to the priests of Kamesh or Molek. There, in some form of a shrine or a chapel, this deity was often depicted in a form of a hollow metal sculpture. This was done only once a year on December 25th, also the same time frame as winter solstice, the priests would start these raging fires inside these massive metal statues to their deities. Now, they had holes strategically made in the statue to emulate smoke coming from beneath the statue, even out of the nostrils or the top of the head. Now, the families who brought their infants, born that year, uh, would then be escorted by the priests to the statue, where the infant would be placed into the lap and arms of Moalek, the statue, who, reminder, has a burning fire inside of him. 
Now, while the father would read aloud this wish list for the deity to hear, some of these infants rested too long in the lap and the arms of the heated statues because the wish lists were too greedily written. And eventually their crying of the infant would cease. So if you were greedy, you paid a price. You paid a price with your child born that year. My goodness. That adds a whole new flavor to, uh, hey, what's your wish list for Christmas? They literally became a sacrifice to the greedy families to appease the gods. Now, in return, this would ensure the wish list, however, was heard and would be fulfilled if your infant survived and you didn't ask for too many things. Sacrificing infants while you were reading through your wish list as they were cooked alive. That's a far cry from placing your kid on Santa's lap for a picture today. Suddenly those frightened children's faces captured on film don't seem as near as sinister as a full-blown sacrifice. That does change the the image of sitting on Santa's lap. Yes. And asking for your Christmas present. Oh, and might I also add the stocking cap that Santa wears. It's almost identical to those of the statues of Rome of Mithra. You know, the one that the government and the, and the uh, soldiers worship on his birthday, and he was considered the holiest of holiest of days. Yeah, that's the same kind of stocking cap that Santa wears almost perfectly. But I'm not done even with that. You see, Santa, of course, keeps a list of these names of children, the good and the bad. He rewards the good with all sorts of nice gifts and punishes and shames the bad with, what was that? A lump of coal. Many believe this lump of coal is a direct tie to the fires within the statues of Molech to remind them to change their ways. It should also be pointed out that Santa is, of course, pulled around on aerial flying sleigh pulled by reindeer. Well, that's not very original either. The Roman god Mithril, the same as mentioned, worshipped by the government officials and the soldiers, whose birthday was December 25th, was also pulled across the heavens on none other than a chariot, a.k.a. sleigh. And while not pulled by reindeer... His ride was powered by horses that galloped across the clouds. Now, even before that, in the Norse beliefs, Odin, as Bill mentioned, was pulled around, sometimes depicted on a sleigh, but by his magical horse with eight legs. So let's take another few darker steps down the darkest hallway so far of Christmas Pass. Most entirely, Santa Claus is considered to be a large elf. And he's often accompanied or aided by his other elves, building toys and working around the clock all year long, making all those wonderful toys and gifts. Now, in the Celtic beliefs, elves are not the well-mannered, kind-hearted, or even warriors that we may relate to in today's Lord of the Rings in America. They were instead dark spirits and considered to be part of the evil fae. Well, speaking of monstrous things associated with Christmas, I found there's a surprising number of creatures associated with Christmas. Just Christmas? Um, just strange holiday traditions that involve all sorts of unsavory, monstrous types. Now, of course, we, we talked about Krampus a long time ago, but uh, there, there are tons of other Christmas creatures. The Marie Louise from Wales, and I hope I'm saying that right. Imagine it's the holiday season. You hear a knock at the door and you open it. 
and there you are confronted by a creature with a horse's skull, sometimes decorated with ribbon, sometimes with <laughs> well, trinkets. That's a nice touch. Sometimes with trinkets or lights in its eye sockets, wearing a long, billowing white cloak, and it is looming over you. Now, the creature towers over you and its followers, who are usually a group of people chanting and playing music in your front yard. Usually one of those people is a leader dressed nicer than the others and carrying a stick or a whip, which I assume is meant for the other followers. Now, the Marie Louis likes to speak in rhymes while traveling door to door, inviting those inside to a battle of wits and rewarding them with food and drink if they can solve its riddles. However, for those who lose the contest, they must allow the Marie Louis into their home and provide it with food and drink instead. The followers will also come into the home. And, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And, and yeah, some of them are, are very <laughs> rowdy. Now, the Marie Louis travels the land between Christmas and New Year's, and there's no way of knowing when exactly you might be visited, if you are at all. Now, you have other creatures from Iceland, Gorilla, the Yule Lads, and the Yule Cat. That sounds like a bad band name. Gorilla is a giant ogre that lives in a cave in the mountains, and she comes down into human settlements during the Christmas season. Now, at first, she was known to beg parents for their unruly children, but as time progressed, she took a more active role in acquiring these unruly children, hunting for them, kidnapping them, taking them back to her cave, where she would cook them into a stew. Oh. More modern stories say she has the ability to detect misbehaving children year-round, marking them so that when she comes out of the mountain, she knows which one she's going to grab. Oh, so be good for goodness sake. Now, Grilla has an assortment of companions, namely the Yule Lads, her 13 unruly troll children. I love that. Yule Lads! Now, these lads steal things and cause trouble around Christmas time, but they're also known to leave small gifts and shoes that are left on windowsills by children. I've got cats. They leave me little presents in my shoes sometimes, too. They only leave gifts if the children have been good. Bad children will get rotten potatoes in their shoes instead. Ew. I don't know if you've ever had a rotten potato in your house. They don't smell they, they smell nasty. Now, luckily, the Yule Lads do not share their mother's penchant for eating children, though each does have its own particular brand of mischief that it engages in. And I have here a list of the Yule Lads. You have Bowl Licker, <laughs> who steals bowls of food from under the bed. Now, that may sound weird, but in the old days, Icelanders used to sometimes store bowls of food under their bed for a midnight snack or something. I don't know what. You have Candle Baker, who steals candles. Door Slammer, who stomps <laughs> around and slams doors, keeping everyone awake. Door Sniffer, who has a huge nose and an insatiable appetite for stolen baked goods. Gully Gawk, who steals foam from buckets of cow milk. <laughs> Meat Hook, who snatches any meat left out, especially that of smoked lamb. Pot Licker, who steals unwashed pots and licks them clean. These names, I swear. Sausage Swiper, who <laughs> loves to steal sausages. Sheep Coat Claude, who tries to suckle... Uh, use in a farmer's sheep shed. That's just weird. And skier gobbler. Skier gobbler. Who likes to eat up the skier, which is apparently a, a form of Icelandic yogurt. Uh, spoon licker. He licks spoon. I mean, self-explanatory. Uh, stubby. He's short and he steals food from frying pans. Stubby. And finally, window peeper, who <laughs> likes to creep outside windows and sometimes, sometimes steal the stuff he sees there. Call the cops. We got a window licker. <laughs> Now, Gorilla is also accompanied by the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat is a huge, monstrous cat that roams through the town, peering into the lighted windows of children's bedrooms. And the only way to save yourself from being eaten by the Yule Cat is to show them that you got clothes for Christmas because you were good. <laughs> now, now, this is based on the tradition that good children who finished their work on time would get new clothes for Christmas, while those who were lazy did not. 
Now, if you didn't get any clothes, it was possible to leave out old clothes and just hope that the Yule Cat could not tell the difference. Bad sight, we hope. Now, uh, some disturbing little creatures from Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia, and Turkey are the Kalakant Zari. Now, these are goblins who spend most of the year living underground, actively trying to bring about the apocalypse. <laughs> Peaky in the brain. Yeah. During the holidays, between Christmas and January 6th in particular, they come out into human territory to cause mischief, such as breaking into homes, urinating in plants, turning food bad, smashing furniture, just generally being unpleasant. They are described as black furry creatures with tusks and horns, and the stories do note they're usually male and described as being, and I quote, grotesquely well-endowed. Oh. Now, as servants of the devil, they fear Dobby holy needs one. a sock. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, as, I could resist. As servants of the devil, they fear holy water, religious symbols, and fire. Now, you might keep the Calicant Zari at bay by hanging the lower jaw of a pig behind the front door or inside the chimney, or by hanging tangled strands of flax which causes the dim-witted creatures to stop and attempt to count each threat. Christmas werewolves? Christmas werewolves? Where do I sign up? It's a thing. I didn't know that, but I discovered it in my research. Werewolves have been part of Yuletide terror as far back as the Middle Ages. Oh my gosh. In Europe, before Christmas was even a recognized holiday, the winter solstice was as much a time for monsters as it was for people, and the creatures of the night would come out in force during the time when darkness ruled the land. According to one 15th century Swedish traveler, werewolves in Prussia, Livonia, and Lithuania held a great party on Christmas night and then raged across the land, attacking human beings. And even in America, strangely enough, in Louisiana is the story of Pierre Noel, the French culture Santa Claus, who glides through the swamps and bayous on a big flat-bottomed boat pulled by alligators with <laughs> a red-nosed werewolf riding shotgun. Oh, my. Christmas werewolves is a phrase I never... Cajun. Never thought I'd say. I've heard of werewolves of London, but never werewolves, werewolves of, Christmas. of Christmas. Werewolves of Louisiana. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back over to Europe. As we travel back, as previously mentioned, to Holland with some of the uh, characters of Sinterklaas, as well as the 1500 Sinterklaas, had a partner. He himself was the kind old soul doing good. But, you know, what about the children that did bad? Well, they would go into to his partner's realm known as Krampus. Now, we've done a podcast on Krampus. We talked about that, so I'm not going to get into a lot, but you can't tell the history of Christmas without at least a mention of Krampus. Now, again, in Holland, this is still a pretty common belief. Santa doesn't just come out by himself or center claws. You see one, you see the other. Some even consider them almost like brothers, one good, one bad kind of brother. But when a child was bad in the regions of Holland, he might be yanked from his bed as he slept by the ankle, kicking and screaming, and then tossed into this wicker basket or this bag belonging to Krampus. You know, much like the one we're inside, but we're inside a Santa's bag, so we're in good shape here, Bill. But if you go back and you look at the antique images of Krampus, the earliest literally has or have red skin, a long tongue, horns, even a forked tail. Literally, this thing looks like a a Lucifer, a small demon, an imp. Uh, It was later illustrated in in art that he has more of the body of a goat uh, with hooves like the devil. 
but covered more with fur rather than being in red skin. He uh, becomes more brown, more black fur covered, looking more definitely like a goat and a human. A humanoid-like face that stands erect and upright. He's often depicted clutching a group of branches to whip the bad children with one of his hands. And he's sporting, of course, this bag or basket over his shoulder, similar to Santa's, but filled with multiple, you know, the baddest of the bad children. There's where we take a step, kind of a dark turn. In some beliefs and customs there, you know, Santa Claus has faded from existence. I guess it's like a way of saying most of the good is gone. And now you just hope that Krampus doesn't visit you at your house as the season's mascot. In German, Krampus can be actually translated to Santa Claus, as we know today. So in an eerie, very sinister turn of events, Santa Claus kind of becomes this evil goat-like demon creature. So in my research on the topic, I found several. Well, I'll just say disturbing. Modern day videos taken as recent as 2021 into these like parade celebrations. You can see children all dressed up going in to see Center Klaus, like up on a stage, uh, having their picture taken, having a video taken, uh, similar to like what we do with a, a baptism here in America. However, this is where. There's giant gingerbread houses and candy canes and and elves with pointy hats and stuff at the mall that we have here in America that in Europe, that's not what you see on the videos. Instead, you see Center Claus up on the stage. Maybe very close, hunkered down close to him is Krampus. And then you see these demonic-looking, smaller versions of Krampus, if you will, that are kneeled off to the side of the stage. In one video, it appears to be taken in a church of, of all places. Uh, there's the father who has brought his young child, I'm, I'm guessing eight, maybe 10 years old at, at max, to see Center Claus. And he has these two demon-like Krampus creatures, both seeming to just kind of like rock back and forth, kneeling at the side of Center Claus as if looking and sniffing the air around the young boy. Now, apparently this young lad... Uh, you can tell he hasn't been good. He has not been a good deer for him. And as Center Claus holds him at his shoulders, almost like this terrifying look down at the little boy, holding him in place directly in front of him, and the boy begins kind of trying to play it off as a joke, you can see on the video. But you can tell he's kind of scared. He's mumbling, no, 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 please. And his father just kind of stands back there with his arms crossed, just watching. And Center Claus then gives one of the Krampus-like creatures this nod, and he stands up, and he comes over with a bundle of twigs and begins to just strike this child all over on the back side of the legs, the front side of the legs, and this boy is being restricted by Center Claus. He literally, at this point, is almost holding him up off the ground as this creature goes around and beats him with this bundle of sticks this kid is having a total meltdown he begins crying and screaming and finally it all ends and the father then takes his son by the hand and they leave the stage and you know it's like no wonder german kids are so well behaved good lord she said poor kids are going to be like traumatized with ptsd it apparently this is something at least in some cultures 
I'm sure it's a way of embarrassment to try to teach the kid, you know, you haven't listened, you haven't done your chores, you haven't been a good boy, so you know, here's a little flashback of what you can expect if you don't set your ways straight, but oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Beat your child up here on the stage and just stand there and watch. That'll learn you. That bundle of switches, I mean, does it look anything like that one there? Actually, yeah, there's kind of some little thorns and stuff on it. What's Santa doing with that? Hang on a minute. I don't think that's Santa, Eric. Do you smell that? Did he pass gas or was that his breath? Or? <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, wait. Why is he laughing? Eric, I think we've been abducted by cramps. Oh, my gosh. What? No. No. What? what? No. No. Oh. oh. Oh, he can go first. Yeah. Take Bill. Eric, what? Help me. 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 Help